Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the book of Mark if you are following along. We're going to continue in our series, which we've loosely sort of thought of as snapshots in the life of Christ. That, that has particular emphasis today because the story um, that we see in this particular passage isn't, uh, isn't primarily a story about Christ. The snapshot that Mark includes in the scrapbook that he's giving us of Jesus in, his book of, in the book of Mark, the snapshot in this part of the scrapbook is not a snapshot of Jesus in particular, but we're going to look at that in a minute. But follow along as we read in, uh, in Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14, and you can be following along uh, over the next couple of paragraphs as I read it. <clears throat> King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that, has, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he's Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet like the one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had been bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, uh, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she had not been able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune, uh, the opportune time came on his birthday. Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with, with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with the, with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. This is God's word. Grass withers flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your truth. Father, I pray that you would, would show us, illuminate my, our minds, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, enliven our, 
hearts with the message of your grace today. Pray that it would change us, change us from within, uh, that it might then have um, rippling effects in, in the way that we live and the decisions we make and how we love and serve. And do that for Jesus' sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the, uh, when you put together, I have a friend who puts together scrapbooks, and they're very elaborate. You know, you can, I guess you can make scrapbooks. Scrapbooking is, a bear, is, is sort of a, it's a hobby. I've, I've never, it's not anything I've ever gotten into. Becky's done me a couple of scrapbooks here and there. I've been given scrapbooks about, you know, it, with situations that I've done, you know, in, in ministry and in theater. Because, um, uh, you know, some of you know that I do theater. And some, some of the things that we've done, um, and they highlight... They highlight I mean, a scrapbook that's been given to me or that's been made for me. It highlights a scrapbook that's been given for you um, in your life and that you make up in your life. It highlights you, but it does, it's not just about you because you are interacting with other things. And, and so when I've been given certain scrapbooks, when, when my mom put together a scrapbook, you know, crude as it was back in the day, um, she would she would put pictures of me and of things I've done, but then she'd put like there, there'd be these headlines that like from the newspaper that she'd put in there too. Like I I had nothing I had nothing to do with the moon landing. You know I had nothing to do in uh, you know in um, with the Beatles and their per- first performance. 19, I think it was, that was 1969 in America, 64, yeah. So I had nothing to do with those things, but they're in my scrapbook. Why? Why is, why is my mother putting headlines about these, these, these uh, because what she's trying to do is she's trying to uh, put my life in and talk about the, the, the events of history uh, that are happening while I'm living to sort of mark the time of my life. There's a sense where that's what Mark's doing here with this particular story because the story that he's recounting and inserting into the biography, into the scrapbook that he's putting together about Jesus, the primary character in John's story, the, the predominant, the, 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 the main thrust of what Mark's getting at is Jesus. But he's inserting this very salacious, almost sort of National Enquirer story. The royal family kills John the Baptist in love tryst. That's basically what you have here. Why is this, why are we, why is John inserting this story into the life of Jesus, into the scrapbook about who he is? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's a, there's a sense where um, when I read this story, and when I see the kind of when I see the kind of experience that 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 Mark is describing happening around the time of Jesus' life, and he's telling the story of the death of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, the the added the added benefit to why this is this may be important to Mark in the way that he's telling the story of Jesus' life is because as you as as if you've been around religious. Christianity for a while, you, you may remember, and this often comes out at the time when we celebrate Christmas, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And so he's operating, and they were only six months apart. John was six months older than Jesus was. 
And John's ministry was a ministry of baptism. He baptized people down at the Jordan for the cleansing of their sins. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins will be forgiven. John was, John's ministry was the ministry of forgiveness. Same ministry that Jesus was. He was the precursor to what Jesus was all about. Sort of, and was always pointing to Jesus saying, you know, one, one is coming. I'm talking about forgiveness in this context. I'm talking about the cleansing power of what Jesus has come to do. But I got nothing compared to the one that's, gonna, that's behind me. My cousin is going to tell you all about what real baptism's like and what real grace is about if you'll just listen to him. So John was always pushing, pushing the emphasis on Jesus, you know, towards Jesus in this process, but his ministry was, was this ministry of grace and forgiveness, confronting the real brokenness in my life and seeing the need for forgiveness in that process. Um, and so we see this, this story of Jesus' cousin inserted with the headlines of the day about his death. And as I look at this juxtaposition of Jesus' story and John's story put together like this, a question rises in my thinking, especially in light of the story that just went, that just happened that Mark just talked about in the early part of chapter 6. If you were here last week, what happened in Mark chapter 6 last week, Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. Jesus shows his power over the brokenness of this world, even to the final brokenness, the most corrupted brokenness that our world has, which is death, the most, the most lingering, the most... Uh, the, 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 the most difficult brokenness that humanity has no power over and that we're all going to be victim to. Jesus shows, it, shows his power over that ultimate uber brokenness, that uber sadness, by simply saying to the little girl who was dead, upsy-daisy, and she comes back to life. That's the story right before this. And then, John, and then Mark inserts the story of John's death in this passage. Death in a very salacious fashion. And we don't spend any time on the death. He just sort of, we spend all this time talking about what led up to his death, and then John dies, and then his, and then his disciples put, bury his body, and then we're done with John. And the question that I think about in this, and that maybe you're thinking about in this is, where was Jesus? I'm asking the question, what, what the heck? Where was Jesus? <laughs> Why didn't Jesus show up for John? He showed up for this random little girl. He showed up for the woman who touched his garment in the middle of the crowd, random woman with a, with a chronic disorder with a chronic bleeding disorder that she'd lived with, she'd lived with for 12 years and presumably could have lived with longer. But Jesus reaches, stops the train, stops the parade in order to reach into her life and to bring her healing and to bring her success. And, to, and then, and then, and then the, the, the little girl, 12-year-old girl of this, of this uh, 
religious leader, Jesus goes to his house and brings her back to life. But here's a man who dedicated his whole life to sharing the message of the gospel, of sharing the message of hope, of sharing the message of grace and forgiveness, of, cleanse, of the cleansing power of Jesus. He was, he was, John the Baptist was about healing the world. John the Baptist was about bringing grace to the world. John the Baptist's life was about his whole life. He, he, get, he did not have fancy clothes. He did not have a, a wonderful house. He, was, he did all of his work in the desert, dedicating everything in his world to God. And when his life was threatened, where was Jesus? Couldn't Jesus have jumped into this? Couldn't, couldn't his cousin have come to his rescue? Couldn't couldn't God have intervened to somehow make it possible that he wouldn't die? Or even after death, couldn't, couldn't Jesus have made it one of his stops to, to, to be there, to raise him from the, wouldn't it have been? Wouldn't it have been more effective? Wouldn't it have been better? Wouldn't it have done, been a greater work of grace for God to raise John the Baptist back to life, and then he could go on preaching and bringing the message of that the king that things would have been more efficient and better, and you've got more people preaching the gospel because John's alive. What what benefit was there in raising a little girl who's twelve years old? We don't know what I mean. What what did her life count for? Moving forward. John the, we, John the Baptist had a history of doing work for Jesus. John the Baptist was a proven, was a was proven with his life that if if he went if he could live longer, he'd be doing better longer. He'd be saving more longer. He'd be bringing better healing and hope to the world longer. When you compare these two things, doesn't it make better? Doesn't it make sense to you that God would have intervened in this man's life? dedicating everything he had. And Jesus, Jesus is nowhere to be found, it seems, when his cousin dies. Nowhere to be found when, his, when the disciples take his body and bury it. It seems as though God has no interest. It seems as though God doesn't care about John. That's what strikes me about this story. And John's death wasn't John's death wasn't noble. John's death was John's death John died for no good reason. John died because the king lost a bet. John died because the king was drunk and made a promise he shouldn't have made. John died because the king wanted to save face and John John died, and even the guy that killed him, the king, didn't want to do it. Do you notice that? Even when Herod tells the story, he's recounting the story. He says, when I saw this Jesus guy, you know who I immediately thought of? John. When I, saw, when I got word of this Jesus guy, it made me think the man I killed came back to haunt me. So much similarity between John and Jesus. 
in, in Herod's mind and many people's minds because a lot of people said it was John the Baptist. They were, seeing this, they were seeing the similarity between his message, between his life, between the way that he lived, that there's a, that there's a connection between these two guys. And John said, I, 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 there was all kinds. Some people said it was John. Some people said it was a prophet. Some people said it was Elijah. I know who it is. Herod said, I know who it is. It's John the Baptist. He's come back to haunt me because I knew I shouldn't have done that. I liked hearing. I liked John. I liked listening to this guy. He confused the heck out of me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you, did you catch that in there? He says, it says, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed. But he liked listening to him. And what was it that John was telling him? What was, it, what was the thing John kept telling Herod? What, well, at, least, at least the thing that struck Herod and the thing that Mark was most aware of is that John, it seemed like John, the, the, the essence of what John kept saying was, you know, this marriage, this, you, you took your brother's wife, shouldn't have done that. It's not lawful for you to just up and take any woman you want. You shouldn't objectify people. You shouldn't, you shouldn't abuse women. You shouldn't take, you shouldn't just give, you, sh you shouldn't just abuse marriage in these situations. It's unlawful for you to do that, Herod. And yet, that was what John, that's what John was saying, and that's what Herod heard, and he was perplexed by it, but he's going, I just love listening to this guy. Why? Why, why would Herod have been intrigued, and enjoying listening to a man tell you about the things you've done wrong. Do you enjoy listening to people who tell you you're doing things wrong? Something's wrong with you? you got a real problem. Do you like that when people tell you that? But Herod, Herod liked it. Herod liked being told uh, well, let me stop there. He didn't, he didn't like being told he, he had done something wrong, but there was something about the larger message that John was bringing that Herod heard and, and, and liked. And you know what I think that was? Because we've even talked about it. The essence of what John was getting at, what was his message? What, was, what do we call him? John the Baptist. John's message was the message of there's something wrong with you. But you can be cleansed from the thing that's wrong with you. What's wrong with you can be fixed. What's wrong with you can be forgiven. And what John's saying by that verse, he's not just saying something's wrong with you and you should be ashamed of yourself. That's not what John's message was and that's not what Herod heard. Any more, than, any more than if a doctor tells you, you know, you, you've got type 2 diabetes. Something's wrong with you. And the reason you have type 2 diabetes is because you're not taking care of yourself. You let yourself go. You're abusing yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. If a doctor were to tell you that, you should get a new doctor. 
Because the doctor is telling you that not to shame you, not to belittle you, not to, not to somehow... Not to, not to somehow fill you with a sense of guilt and fear, but to tell you, you need to be fixed. And we can help you be fixed. And I can guide you to being fixed. To being healed. To struggle forward with the, with the, with the difficulty that you have. That's what, John, that's what Herod heard John talking about. You're broken, Herod. You're making poor choices. There's something, there's something desperately wrong with you, but God sees what's wrong with you, and he isn't to, he's not trying to shame you. He's trying to heal you. He's trying to cleanse you, and you can be cleansed. You can be forgiven with what's wrong with you, with what you've done. The choices you've made can be forgiven, and John's message was forgiveness is better than rightness. I'm going to say that again because I'm not sure you understand what I mean by that. Forgiveness is better than rightness. The reason that people, the reason, now, now here, now, I'll, I'll describe this before I go into what I mean by forgiveness is better than rightness. Two people heard John say, something's wrong with you. This whole marriage that you have with Herodias is not good. Two people heard that. Herod heard it, and Herodias heard it. Same message, two responses. Herod's response was what? This confuses the heck out of me, but I like hearing this. Her what was Herodias' response to the same message? I'm going to get that guy if it's the last thing I do. And she nursed that. I love, the way, I love the way Mark describes how bitterness and grudges can build up into a hateful, murderous rage. If you want to hatefully murder somebody, it doesn't start out that way. It starts out with a grudge, and then it builds into hateful murder until the opportune moment comes. She was looking for the chance. Why was, what was this message, John Preach the message, something's wrong with you, Herod, but you can be cleansed and forgiven because forgiveness is better than rightness. And Herod heard it, confused by it, and he, he continued to be confused by that message, even up to the time when Jesus is, Jesus is going to be killed for no good reason, who he had actually part of in the end. We see that in Luke and other of the Gospels, is that Herod was also, again, a part of killing a man for no good reason that he respected The message that he was confused by, but intrigued by, interested in, liked listening to. I like this idea that forgiveness is better than rightness. But what Herodias heard was, what Herodias, what, what the woman, what, what his wife was hearing, what she was feeling as a result of this message is, I have to be right, I have to be right, I have to be right. If I'm not right, and you're telling me I'm wrong, something's wrong with you, not wrong with me. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me something's wrong with me because I can nothing because what come what's behind that sense of nothing's wrong with me when when, when that when when that is your response when you feel the need to be able to say something nothing's wrong with me 
Don't tell me I'm wrong. When, you, when that rises up, what it comes from, what it's rooted in, is I have to be right at all costs. Why? Because in that mentality, rightness is more important, is more necessary, is more powerful than being forgiven. I don't want to be forgiven. I want to be right. And that's the two methods of life that we live in today. It's the two great philosophies. The philosophy of life, of humanity, that we're all on some level of trying to be right. And I have to be right by all means. I have to be right by shortchanging what I actually am wrong with. I have to somehow gloss over that so that I can be right or by demand or by power or by ignorance. I have to make myself right in the eyes of around me. And it makes that kind of experience makes people bitter and leads to rage and grudges and murder. Murder of all sorts. I mean, we, we, Jesus says, if you hate your brother, if you call him a fool in your heart, you're murdering. Jesus said murder comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's just intellectual murder. Sometimes it's just emotional murder. Sometimes it's just murder of silence. But it's murder. It's I want this person gone. But the message of the gospel says, the message that Jesus was bringing is you can get off that treadmill of having to be right because deep down people who who don't want to who, who need to be right, they know deep down, we know deep down when you, that, that you are wrong because we're human. Something wrong with us. We're broken. We're messed up. It's messed up what happened to John. It's messed up. People aren't supposed to be killed for no good reason, especially over the loss of a bet. <laughs> People, people's deaths somehow some John shouldn't have this shouldn't have been the way his life ended that's there's something messed up about that and there's something messed up about the idea to me there's something messed up about the idea that somehow it seems like God is absent from that process that's messed up it's messed up we're broken And because innately, internally, we know we're broken, we're trying to be right. We're trying to fix the rightness, or we're trying to fix the the fact that we're not right. We're trying to fix it by demanding that we are, by, by, by needing to be right. When Jesus said, when John said, the way to fix not being right is to admit you're not right and be forgiven. That fixes it. And here's the thing. There's somebody who's willing to do that for you. There's someone who's willing to hear you say, I'm wrong, or agree with the fact that I am wrong, that something's messed up in me, and then willing to say, okay, but you can, I'll forgive you for it. I'll forgive you. And the forgiveness, what forgiveness is doing, what forgiveness of the gospel is doing, the reason that forgiveness is powerful is because when the person says, I forgive you for being messed up, it's giving you rightness. It's saying, although you're wrong, 
I'll make you right again. I'll make us right again. I'll make you whole again by forgiving you. And the bigger story, and the bigger story is, and this is where the cleansing comes in, the cleansing water, is that not only is the gospel saying, God says, I'll forgive you for how messed up you are when you come to me and admit and agree that you're messed up, but I'll also cleanse you by giving you a rightness you can't destroy. I'll give you a right. Your rightness is messed up. You're not right. You're wrong. Humanity is messed up, broken, dark, You can't be right because you're desperately broken. But I'll forgive you for that, and I'll go one better. If you come and admit your weakness, if you come and admit your brokenness and your wrongness and your betraying and all the dark parts of you, if you come and do that, what John's saying, what Jesus is saying, is if you come and admit that, I'll forgive you for all of that, and I'll go one better. I'll give you a rightness that will never go away, I'll give you the rightness that is mine, that it is Jesus' rightness, it is his perfection. I'll give it to you simply because you asked and trusted me. And that rightness will never spoil. It will never, it cannot, you can't break it. You can't break that rightness. It's so great. It's so powerful. It's so outside of you. And I'll make you right and so then, not only will you be forgiven and healed from all the mess you made, from the broken life you have, but I'll give you a rightness, and now you walk away forgiven and healed, and now right at the same time. What a deal! That's the cross. That's the work of grace. That's what Christianity is. But we still live in a broken world. John preached that message, and yet the broken world took him. And it seems like Jesus is nowhere to be found. Why? Why? There's still that, that, initial, that initial question we still haven't answered. And, here's, and, and, and sadly, folks, I'm going to tell you up front, well, given the time, it's not up front. It's, it's the end. <laughs> At least you're hoping. I'm going to tell you at this point, that initial question, I can't answer it. I don't know. I don't know why Jesus didn't show up and raise John from the dead. I don't know why he allowed him to die in this ignominious fashion for no good reason in scandalous, in the wake of scandalous brokenness. I don't know. Because in a broken world, bad things happen to good people. And that truth is meant to somehow lower the temperature of our rage that this could happen. But the other thing we see here in this story is even though we don't know exactly the reasons why, what we do have we do know that for all eternity, John's story, John's story of being lost in the brokenness, of dying for no good reason, is attached to Jesus' story. 
And what I mean by that is that the way Jesus is there, the way Jesus didn't just leave him, the way that we, the way that we understand John's story isn't that Jesus wasn't there. It's that Jesus was absorbing John's story into his own story. John's, John didn't die anonymously. John didn't. John, the bad thing that happened to John, who was a good man, didn't happen anonymously, frivolously, haphazardly. It happened strategically as Jesus is absorbing all of his broken story into his own story. That's how Jesus is present. And, in, and that reality is greater than any specific reason why. What Jesus is saying is, your broken anonymity, your sense of, your sense of things, of bad things happening to you for no good reason, even though you're trying to do your best, I see that, I hear that, I know that, I'm moved by that, and I'm drawing that into myself. I and you are one. I and you are one. And if I and you are one, and if your story is Jesus' story, if your life is subsumed into his life, nothing that happens to you is happenstance. Nothing that happens to you is meager. Nothing that happens to you is empty or frivolous, but purposeful and glorifying. And as Tolkien said, he will make all of your bad dreams become untrue someday. That no bad thing that happens to a good person will ever be the end of the story. We may not know all the details about why Jesus does what he does or doesn't do what he does or where he was when he should have been or when you think he should have been. But we, but, but we do know that we're in the middle of yet the story. We're in the middle of it. The end of the story comes when we hear the trumpets and when we see the horses and when, we, and when the skies fill with light and Jesus descends and transforms the world into the, when he resurrects and restores the world. And then the end of the story tells the tale. When all of the stories that Jesus has drawn into himself of all kinds of brokenness then the story is told. And the reason we know that we can rely upon that is that Jesus allowed himself to go down the same path that John did. He didn't stand, Jesus didn't stand aloof from John's suffering and go, oh, that's tough. 
but he allowed his life to be taken the same way John's was for no good reason from the, at the hands of the same man for no good reason, who he liked listening to, looking forward to seeing a miracle, looking forward to spending time with. And then suddenly, well, I wash my hands of that, and off he goes. And Jesus took an ignominious story into himself and proved he was more powerful than it and came back to life. And that will be the rippling effect in your life and in mine. All the ignominious stories of brokenness in your life will be resurrected because of the forgiving grace, the cleansing power of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. As you give meaning to our lives for the unanswered, perplexing questions that we all have, it puzzles us what you do. It puzzles us where you show up and where, where it seems you show up and where you don't. We know you're there, but why aren't you making the choices we would make? That's puzzling, but I yet am intrigued to hear more of what your story is. Change this world and change my bad dreams, Father. Cleanse them and teach me the power that forgiveness is more, is more freeing than rightness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.